even me, I mean, the programming that I do, I, I do our own programming and I'm in and out of the gym in 45 minutes, no more than an hour. And I can ride my dirt bike and go on my mountain bike and do everything I could ever need to. I have plenty of capacity to do all the things I could ever want outside the gym. And that's what I want. I want to use my fitness. I don't want to just use it in another workout the next day. Like, what are we doing? We got to get out and like use it and enjoy it and, and put it to use outside of CrossFit because it's a privilege, right? People work hard to get it and they work hard to have the ability to go do whatever they want. And I think they forget that, that you can go, you can, if you do CrossFit and you do it well and you're smart about how you program it and you have good variety in it, you can go run a half marathon tomorrow. You could go in an Olympic lifting meet tomorrow. You're not going to win, but who cares? Like if you're not training for that, why do you care? So let's get back to that. I think that's something that I'm really passionate about now. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer, and I am the Clydesdale CrossFitter. My friends, Amy Radowski, Charlie Ode, and Kat Shear, and I, we are 40-plus Masters athletes who love the sport of CrossFit. We want to bring you athlete interviews, human interest stories, and all the news from the Open to the Sanctionals to the CrossFit Games. We also want to share our journey to get fit and healthy using the sport of CrossFit. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button and consider giving us a five-star rating. We are now available on YouTube at the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends Podcast and all traditional podcast platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Clydesdale CrossFitter. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Hey everyone, welcome to the Clydesdale CrossFitter friends. My name is Scott Switzer, I am your host. And as you can see, we are now in live and living color and we're gonna go to YouTube. I have with me the full cast of characters. Uh, Amy, how's it going? Hey. Charlie, what's up man? Yo. And a new but familiar face, well, at least voice, Yes. Kat Shear. Hello. So uh, Kat is joining the crew as one of the friends, and uh, we're excited to have her on. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You guys are awesome. It's going to be fun. So now that we're on YouTube, we have to do that obligatory. Hey, if you like the content you're seeing here, hit that subscribe button. Smash that like button. Come on. Uh, and share with your friends because we're new to YouTube. We need all your help and support. So share with everybody you know so that we can get the word out there uh, if you like the content you see here. Yes, and most importantly, because we want to become um, more YouTube famous than our children could ever be. On this, please. <laughs> yeah, the, the master's athletes uh, of internet famous. This is a competition. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, it'd be funny you say that because my daughter actually checks my followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. to see if I'm ahead of her or behind her. Yeah. And uh, truth be told, I'm ahead of her right now. Yeah. Game on. Right. Let's go. 
So with that, hey, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Clydesdale CrossFitter as well. And our YouTube channel name is the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends Podcast. Uh, so check us out there. So uh, training week, you know, we do that every week. How is everybody's training week going? In Pretty quarantine? solid. Pretty solid, I would say. I, I did a lot of legs this week. So my legs are feeling a little heavy, but uh, did a lot of squats, legs, box jumps, um, but feeling pretty good. I mean, I think my training week was was pretty solid overall. And you're you're hanging with the normal programming, right? Because you have access to full equipment. Yeah, yeah. I've been hanging with just following comp train, so mostly on there, and maybe doing some extra kind of um, accessory stuff at home and and such. But um, also because I'm I don't really. Um, have a job right well I have a job but I'm not showing up to work right now so I have a lot more time on my hands and I'm able to do a lot of this extra accessory work yeah I'm I have a lot of time on my hands I'm normally coaching and not doing a whole lot of that right now so I luckily have the full gym set up at home and uh, I've worked out six days this week Dang. so I'm feeling pretty good yeah it hasn't happened in a while so <laughs> let's keep it going and so the workouts you've been posting are uh, pretty aggressive yeah, they're fun. I, uh, I try, I haven't tested all of them and I find myself, I'll add little notes to the bottom of the programming. Like, uh, I call it a captain's log where I check in and see what I've done. And sometimes I change it. <laughs> <laughs> How's the prison bod coming, Charlie? This week was a little rough on the prison bod. We, uh, we got three days in, but, uh, you know, it's, it's slowly come along. We're still doing our Carrie Pierce abs though. So awesome. Shout out to Carrie's trying to destroy my core. There you go. How'd you make so, it this week, Scott? So um, you guys know this, but uh, for our listeners, uh, I tweaked my back this week, and I don't know how. I think it's just because I'm 50. Uh, and I went to get out of my office chair, and all of a sudden it hurt really bad. And so I have been trying to figure that out this week. Um, as I've told Amy and Kat and Charlie, uh, it's in the same spot as the last injury. So I'm trying to keep a good head about it and not get uh, stupid and nuts about it. Um, so anyway, uh, it's getting better each day, about 50% better each day since Tuesday. And so what I've, what I've been doing the last two days, which has been awesome, is I went to uh, Christy Aramo, you know, just down the street, was one of our first guests. Uh, and I've been doing bodybuilding band work that she adds as accessory work. So a lot of curls and presses with bands. And that's been, that's been really awesome because I can keep my back really stable, yet I'm, it's crushing me. Who would have thought that a simple band um, at high repetitions and you're smoked? Uh, and then this morning, I started Carrie Pierce's Power Abs, Charlie. Yeah, buddy. Jumping on the bandwagon. I love it. So I'm hoping that, like, if I can get that core much stronger, that it'll hold the back more, more, I don't know, more secure. And I'm not, I won't have these problems in the future. Wait a minute. Like, core strength would help support your back? What a concept. I don't know. <laughs> and who knows? It may make me a better crossfitter. <laughs> so, yeah, I started that this morning. Uh, that is a 10 minute workout. That is no joke. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not moving around a lot, but holy cow. 
dripping in sweat. So that's returning week. Uh, we are so privileged uh, for our first ever live video interview um, on YouTube. We have a really special guest this week. Uh, we have the legend himself, Chris Spieler. So, uh, guys, what, what, any thoughts about this interview before we switch it over to that? Well, I read his book. Um, I started reading his book almost a year ago and quick finished his book uh, a few days ago um, before we interviewed him. A real good read. Um, it, exactly what I expected from him. He's just such a cool guy. Um, really laid back. Um, super competitive. He's got a great mindset. And I just loved, you know, all the, all the things he got to tell us that, that I think people are going to find interesting. It's not the run of the most stuff that we usually talk about. Yeah, yeah. I, really, I really liked it. Yeah, and I think it's really important, too, that um, it's really timely that we got this interview just because, you know, he is about five weeks out of recovering from COVID. And I think it was just so important that he spoke out about it because we're, we're hearing so much about so much, you know, in the media about COVID, but that there's this misconception that it's only um, the elderly or, um, you know, high risk people that it, it just was great to see somebody speak out who obviously is, an, you know, a super fit elite athlete, one of the OGs of CrossFit. Um, and so it was just really a privilege to, to talk to him and get his story on, on that, among other things that he also opened up about. And he was so laid back and, and easygoing during the interview. It was just really fun, um, and a, but open and honest about all the things he kind of experienced in his career. Um, so with that, let's bring in Chris Spieler. We'll go do a wardrobe change because we're wearing different clothes for that interview. And then, uh, and then we'll be back with you after the interview. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm well. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Good. Nice to see you. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, we have seven times games athlete Chris Spieler with us today. So excited about that. Um, let's start with uh, the news of the day, uh, the COVID-19. Yeah. And you announced last week that you actually contracted uh, that disease. So tell us what that was like. Um, you know, it was, it was wild. I think mostly because of the family dynamic. So um, it, and the uncertainty around it, uh, it's in my really limited ex experience displayed itself in so many different ways. Um, we have some people in town that we know, even from our gym community that um, have been hospitalized from it. We have some people that have gotten just really sick. We have people that have had really mild symptoms. So there's a lot of uncertainty around it, which made it tricky. Um, but I think more than anything, it was the family dynamic that made it tough because once I found out I had it, we had already been trying to kind of have some distance with the kids and my wife. Um, but we also, I didn't have a fever. It wasn't the typical stuff. So as we were going through it, even from the healthcare providers or the health department, as helpful as they were, they were still uncertain on a lot of things and how to handle it. So the quarantine was interesting and difficult. And then once I started feeling better and then my wife had to go into it and then I had to come upstairs with the kids and kids started to show symptoms, but they had tested negative and they said, you should try to keep the kids separate, but how do you do that with a 10 and an eight year old? How do you, uh, 
it, it was just a hard dynamic, you know, it's really hard. And people ask me often, they're like, oh my gosh, is this the most sick you've ever been? Like, no, I've been more sick for sure. Um, but this is, it's an odd one. It, it's quite a long recovery process. And even now I still have lingering stuff and I'm five and a half weeks in from having t- symptoms. So I still have these odd things kind of lingering, which is really annoying, but we're grateful that it wasn't worse. So would you say that the quarantine was actually harder on you than the actual symptoms or was, was it a little bit of both? Um, probably the symptoms, probably the uncertainty. Cause for me, I had the shortness of breath and it wasn't anything where I obviously had to be hospitalized or get on an oxygen or anything like that. But that's, that's unnerving is the shortness of breath. It's, and I kept telling my wife, Sarah, I was like, man, if this was just a fever, if it was just that, I wouldn't care. But the shortness of breath when you can't control that is quite nerve wracking. I think, um, the quarantine annoying, but, but doable. Cause we all know it's temporary. And the shortness of breath is probably something new for you. Um, you know, you're kind of known for your endurance and, and stamina. Uh, so that, that had to be weird. Yeah. And I, I told some other people too, I think that the good thing and maybe the tricky thing is that when you feel, when you're aware of how you feel and when you're aware of your kind of body, I, I think we can sometimes be maybe not hypersensitive, but you're just more aware when things are a little off. So if things are a little off, it's like, I notice it, but if things are quite a bit off, I'm like, whoa, this is not normal. So I think that's probably a lot of what was happening and, and makes it a little difficult. Well, I watched your um, Instagram um, video that you posted about it and about how you were waffling or wondering about if you should you know, come out and talk about it. And I'm really glad that you decided to, because I think it's really important for other people to hear that healthy people, fit people, can also be affected by this. It's not just the sick or the elderly. And so I really appreciate that you did come out because I think it was an important message for people to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, yeah, I think we need to be smart and there's a lot of things as things evolve and change. It's um, yeah, it's crazy, you know, to think about what's happening to our social dynamics and our economy and all these things. And I think there has to be, there has to be conversation where we can figure out how to move forward and get things open again and, and do that in a smart way and have compassion for people and be smart, not be naive. You got to find this middle ground, right? Because not everywhere is the same. In New York, the experience is going to be way different than Park City versus middle of nowhere, Wyoming versus Florida. Versus, so it's, it's different for all of us, but we all have to respect it. But. Your, your family's all doing well now and everybody's getting on, getting on the mend and, and doing much better. Yeah, for sure. And thankfully, you know, kids are running around like crazy. They, they're good. Um, my wife, she's doing great. A little bit of fatigue and some weird, like we both have experienced kind of this weird nervy type stuff in our muscles. If we do nothing crazy workout wise, but like some sore muscle, like nerve stuff still lingering. Um, so yeah, we're definitely all in the men doing much, much better than two weeks ago. It's funny you say the nerve thing. Uh, it came out today that the Los Angeles Rams center uh, contracted the disease and he lost his sense of smell and taste mm-hmm. uh, during, during the, the disease. So yeah. yeah, it must be hitting the neurological system uh, yeah. at times as well. For sure. And that happened to my wife. She lost that. I didn't, but um, 
definitely has something's tweaked with the central nervous system because uh some stuff with like muscle and nerve issues like pain and things like that but um nothing that we can't work through and we don't see subsiding so let's move on to something a little more happy uh your yeah. family uh you you're married to sarah yeah you have two kids 10 and 8 you said that uh when talking about the covid so how did you meet your wife Oh man. Yeah. So it's funny. We just did a podcast uh, the other day. Um, it was the first time I kind of interviewed her on, on our podcast. And I met Sarah at a young life camp in upstate New York called Saranac in 1999. So we met there uh, working as basically camp counselors. And I was on the ropes course. She was at, at the craft shack and uh, met there working and then kind of went back to school and did our own thing. And about five years later, I got an email from her sending out to like the group that we all worked with at Saranac. And uh, yeah, we reconnected and she came out for a visit during her spring break. And then that turned into her coming out for the summer to hang out and, and live. And then she never went home and suckered her into marrying me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you guys dated for a while before you got married? You know, not a ton. Uh, it was two years that we dated. Um, so we had uh, met at Saranac. And then through that five years, I went back to college. She was at another college. I had moved out to Utah in that time. And then when she moved out, we dated for a little over two years before we got married. Oh, nice. And then you have, is it two boys? A boy and a girl. A so our girl. boys 10, yep, and our girls eight. So we're one of each and Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, done with that. Check that off the list. So far. Yeah, Kat and I, I are both. Kat and I are both in that same boat. We both have a. Uh, our kids are two years apart, a boy and a girl, and but now they're seventeen and fourteen. So we've got. Uh, woo. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. funny. I talk to people. I'm like, man, it's not so much the zero to thirteen. It's the thirteen to eighteen that makes me more. <laughs> my my for daughter, sure. she's a firecracker though. And I, like it's a lot of work for us, but I was like, she she gave me a stink eye last the other night at the dinner table because I was I was talking to her, giving her a hard time about how she's like that. And I said, honey, I was like, it's gonna serve you well. It might be tough for mom and dad, but it's gonna serve you well when you get older. We just gotta channel it. Those boys won't mess with her, that's for sure. That's right. <laughs> yeah, my my daughter's eighteen, just finishing up her freshman year in college. Wow, crazy times. Yeah, especially like, oh my gosh, I was talking to some of our gym members and they have, you've got this broad scope, we have kids that are 8, 10, we have people in the gym that like literally just had a baby during the pandemic, we have people that um, have kids that are going to miss their high school graduation, and it's just so crazy to think that our generation, these generations, you know, our generation especially, and even our kids, right, we're going to be the generation that in... 50 years, 30 years is talking to our grandkids or their grandkids about, hey, I went through this pandemic or I went through this. And it's not the first time this has happened. I think people are like, this has happened before, but not in a long time. So it's interesting that we're going to be able to look back and, sh and share this with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been telling my son, he's getting ready to apply to colleges. And I told him, you know, the, the college essay that everyone's going to be writing now is what did I do during my quarantine? So make yeah. it, make, have something good to write about. <laughs> other, yeah. than, other than Xbox and sleeping. That's right. Cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
that yeah. may be a little a little too accurate there. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about your your athletic career before CrossFit. And so you yeah. were a wrestler at Lock Haven University. I was, yeah, yeah. So is, I wrestled. Oh, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. Yeah, I don't want to jibber jabber too much. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, so what's crazy about that for me is I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, and I actually went to Clarion University, who yeah. were in the same division as Lock Haven. Yeah, uh, and I was actually friends with Kurt Angle. No way! Yeah, college. I wrestled his, his younger or his was it his cousin or his brother his younger brother his cousin Mark. No, yeah, I wrestled Mark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was, fr- I was, uh, I hung out with the wrestlers at Clarion um, yeah. back in their heyday. Um, but yeah, we, I, we would wrestle Lockhaven. So, yeah. So what was that like? That's crazy. Wow, small world. Um, so I grew up playing all sorts of different sports. Um, I really found myself attracted to wrestling because shocker, I was small uh, <laughs> when I was really small as a kid, and I kind of got tired of not being able to keep up with the kids on the soccer field or being too small for this or feeling too small for that. And wrestling suddenly had this even playing field. I remember thinking, wait a second, I get to like compete against guys my size. That sounds really fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so growing up, I, I played all sorts of different sports, but wrestling, I really clung to it. Um, and when it came time to decide to go to college, it's funny. I started looking around at different schools that I wanted to go to. And I thought about places that had young life because I was really interested in, in being like a volunteer leader there. Uh, but I also really wanted to wrestle division one, but I, I wasn't one of those kids that was going to do well at a big school. So like a, you know, 40,000, 25,000 student body where you have classes of hundreds of kids. I, that just wasn't me. Um, and I looked around at some schools. I looked, I, I looked out west at first because I really wanted to live in the mountains. Um, and I didn't find any programs that I really was like excited to go to, nor were ones really looking at me. I had an opportunity to go to Iowa State and kind of walk on the team there. I looked at places like JMU and, and all sorts of places. But um, lower school, like Division two and Division three schools were asking a lot. They were super interested. And I had gotten offered some substantial scholarships from the those divisions but there's this piece of me that I thought man like I never want to look back and think what if I would have gone D1 what could I have done and I visited Lock Haven they had recruited me and I met one of my wrestling coaches there his name's Rocky Bonomo and he is just one of the most awesome humans on the planet um and he was just a huge part of that Kerry Colott was there at the time um, and to be able to be coached by him, he, he's got third in the world. He's in the wrestling hall of fame, like guys, a freak show. And, uh, that really drew me in. So to go to a school that was small, kind of like Clarion is same vibe. You know, yeah. we have this 6,000 student body, but wrestling was D one. It was the perfect blend. And it, it was a tough, tough five years, but, uh, I learned a lot. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't trade it. And you got to uh, you got to experience the baby mountains as opposed to the the big rocky mountains. <laughs> exactly. Very rainy though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and but you said you loved wrestling because um, you could you could compete against people the same size. But I, I think I read somewhere that you actually wrestled up at the beginning of your college career. Correct. 
I kind of bounced around. So I had a really interesting career in college. I went into our recruiting class my freshman year. The recruiting class that came in was ranked fifth in the nation. And they had kids that were, I mean, two, three, four times state champs that were just like laced throughout the lineup. And I was just a kid that was a two-time state qualifier. And I really hadn't done anything profound in high school. And once I got to college is when I really experienced coaching that I really thrived in. And I learned a lot. So my freshman year, I redshirted automatically. Most every kid did that. Give them a chance to grow. My redshirt freshman year, second year, um, I wrestled against a, a kid trap. And he was a four-time state champ. And he was a great guy. Super a nice guy. Um, and what I found is I, I ended up beating him in the wrestle off, but then I didn't perform well on the mat. And, and that was tough because I beat him in the wrestle off, which was not expected. My first match was against a kid that was an all American in the Hershey arena. And I'm just like some young, just breaking in the lineup. And I lost to him. And then the next one was against another nationally ranked guy. And he kind of smeared me across the mat. And they pulled me out of the lineup and put Trap in and Trap performed well. And it's not his fault. He, he did great. And I had this really difficult year where I, would, I had to make weight every meet. And they would have me go with the team and I'd travel every time. And they wouldn't tell myself or Trap who was going to wrestle. They'd make us warm up and then the coach would decide right before the match who was going to go out. And the entire year, they chose Trap. And I wrestled off with him two more times. And I beat him two more times that year. And they never put me back out on the mat. Um, and that was like a really defining year. So the next year, I bumped up to 133 because I didn't want to have to deal with that. And also, I had grown a bit. Um, and that year, I actually bumped up to 33. And then our 141-pounder, he started not be able to make weight. So I bumped up to 141 and wrestled there. So I floated around a lot, but 133 was really where I belonged. And then eventually in your senior year, you were top 20 in the country, right? Yeah, it took a while to get there, but uh, uh, I had been ranked in the top 20 in the nation. I got to compete at, you remember EWLs, Eastern Wrestling League. Um, and that's the qualifier for us, kind of like the equivalent of the Big Tens, but in, in our uh, conference. So I wrestled there and I got, actually got fourth place. So I didn't qualify with a spot, they had, but they had wild cards. And I got a wild card went. And uh, my first round, I beat a kid from Oregon. And then the second round, I had to wrestle the guy ranked first in the nation, Johnny Thompson from Oklahoma State. Um, and I lost to him by four points, which was really you know, although a bummer to lose, I was like, okay, I belong here. Uh, and then the goal was to be an all American. I think I had to win two more matches. And then I went into the wrestle backs and lost in overtime to a guy that, uh, we, I had beat him once in the year and he beat me once in the year. And then that was the end of that about two matches away from all American, but it was, uh, it was really, yeah, a really, really cool experience. One of the better ones in my athletic career. Do you think wrestling up in those early years helped you later uh, as you got into your, your junior and senior year? Um, I think breaking into the lineup and being able to get experience on the mat is the most helpful. 
uh, wrestling up was not easy because I was still weighing, even when I wrestled 141, I was weighing, you know, 140 tops. And then you have guys coming down from 160. So there's some, there's quite a big jump there. Yeah, there's a big discrepancy there. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but it, was, it was a really excellent experience to build confidence and, and just continue to get experience that I needed. So, so what do you like to do in your off time? I know you're working hard owning an affiliate and some different things, but what do you like to do for fun just to, to decompress? Oh, man, anything on two wheels and preferably downhill or quickly. So I really love downhill mountain biking. I really love riding my dirt bike. Um, I just, yeah, I started mountain biking when I was in high school when it wasn't even like a cool thing to do when it didn't even exist. We didn't really even have trails. And that, as I moved out West, just grew and the trail system here is crazy. So that in the summer and then skiing in the winter, I love to ski. I do some work for Ski Utah. I do some writing for them and get a chance to kind of cruise around and check out the different mountains in the area. We live in a really, really cool spot where we have basically in our town, there's two different resorts within about seven miles. And as the crow flies, there's probably six different resorts within about eight miles. So a lot of, a lot of play when, when it's open. And so did you bring your kids on into learning how to ski and doing those activities with you guys from a pretty early age? Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, always the skiing thing. It's, it's such a great family sport, you know, because you can really get outside, enjoy the mountains and it doesn't have to be anything competitive. It can just be a way to really enjoy one another. So both of the kids started when they were probably three and, uh, they, we put them in this really cool ski school every year. It's just at the, the resort and every Saturday they go up and it's called mountain team, but it's nothing serious. Basically they just get to ski with six or eight of their buddies and a coach and they just cruise around the mountain. And it's so neat because now even at 10 and eight, they know their way around the whole resort. We could, if we wanted to drop them off and let them just go. And it's, it's really neat that they have that exposure and that comfort in the mountains. Absolutely. So let's move a little bit more into your, your work life today. And, and you have, you have a programming package out there, a spiel, spiel programming. Yeah. Yep. So we offer that. Uh, it basically, we just look at that as an online extension of our, our family at CrossFit Park City. So CrossFit Park City is the brick and mortar and then spiel programming is just our online family with that. And it's been interesting in this past, uh, you know, month, it's really forced me and, and Chelsea and Kaylee, they work with me on it to really reflect and think, Hey, like what, what do we do? What do we want to do with this? And, and who do we serve? Because just like in CrossFit or sport or life in general, I think we all go through this process and we can kind of evolve over time. And when we started Spiel Programming, it started off as, as Icon and most people probably know it is that but we had to do a brand change because I had no idea that uh, there was a trademark infringement. It took five years for the company to let, let us know, but we ended up rebranding to Spiel, but we started as a competitive program and this is in 2015 and that was something for us that we did um just because it was where i was uh and then it slowly started to change and we offered more where it was less competitive and more lifestyle oriented and as things have kind of evolved in this we've really taken a hard look like hey how do we want to serve like who are we what do we do and we're in the process of really kind of stripping things down, simplifying things, 
we're not a competitive program. We offer programming um, that's largely based for the general population. We have a number of affiliates that follow it where they've got these comprehensive lesson plans and videos. And I think due to my, uh, you know, my fault in, in like just figuring out like who are we in this time, there's been like a miscommunication. I think a lot of people assume we're a competitive program where we're just not. We have some higher volume training there, but it's still not like a games competitive program. So yeah, we're in the process of really trying to help strip that down, simplify, and just really serve the community in a way that we think is what we're passionate about and what we think is really lasting for health and longevity and uh, provide coaching, not just programming, but coaching through an online platform. So I know you have shown up at the games to, to assist with some of the athletes, uh, but, but it's not from a programming standpoint. It's more from just a, like a mindset coaching kind of a thing. So that's what's interesting is at that time, yeah, we offered that programming. I helped Garrett Fisher, you know, and he got back to the games and I was there for him. And then the following year, I coached NorCal and I did programming for them. Um, that, that was team NorCal. So, and I had kind of like sprinkled in a, a couple other people had reached out to me um, during those times. I, I helped out Nathan Bramlett for a year. But I mean, this is back in like 2015, 2016 when things were still um, kind of geared toward that for us. And in that time period, we've just really shifted. And we have a couple people that really love to compete uh, and they do some of the sanctional events and things like that. But, you know, the truth is when I look at our community, when I look at the, the broad scope of it, there are people like us that they've got families and they have kids or they have a busy work life or they have, I mean, fill in the blank, you know, and for them, they're using fitness as a way to be able to have health and longevity and do the things they want to do outside the gym. So as I look at that, we've just shifted toward that, which is honestly what I'm more passionate about. I don't want to do things that I'm not passionate about because I know I'm not going to put my best effort into it. And even me, I mean, the programming that I do, I, I do our own programming and I'm in and out of the gym in 45 minutes, no more than an hour. And I can ride my dirt bike and go on my mountain bike and do everything I could ever need to. I have plenty of capacity to do all the things I could ever want outside the gym. And that's what I want. I want to use my fitness. I don't want to just use it in another workout the next day. Like, what are we doing? We got to get out and like use it and enjoy it and, and put it to use outside of CrossFit because it's a privilege, right? People work hard to get it and they work hard to have the ability to go do whatever they want. And I think they forget that, that you can go, you can, if you do CrossFit and you do it well and you're smart about how you program it and you have good variety in it, you can go run a half marathon tomorrow. You could go in an Olympic lifting meet tomorrow. You're not going to win, but who cares? Like if you're not training for that, why do you care? So let's get back to that. I think that's something that I'm really passionate about now. I totally agree. And I think, you know, when we look back at the pyramid, I mean, of what CrossFit is, that is, that's what it's intended for. The games athletes are the very small percentage of us in this, you know, sport. And so um, I couldn't agree with you more that I want to train and do CrossFit so that I can continue to take my fitness outside, run around, play with my kids, my grandkids and, and be, have an active lifestyle. So 
um, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like when you go back to the pyramid, you learn at the level one, you know, when Greg Glassman wrote that and at the tip of that is sport, he didn't mean CrossFit as a sport. Right. He meant sport, right? Because CrossFit as a sport didn't exist then. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, no, apply it to sport. And that means go play pickleball with your friends, go mountain bike, go, I, I mean, fill in the blank, like go apply it. And now you have this base. And I, I think people have forgotten that. And I think um, that's what I'm passionate about is helping people realize like, hey, you, I don't, I, I hesitate to call it a gift because they earned it, right? They work for it, but you do, you have a gift because some people can't do this stuff, right? For whatever reason. Um, and like you have the ability to do it. Your ability to work hard is a privilege and your fitness is a privilege and a gift. Although you've worked hard for it now, go use it, like unwrap it, put it to use out there. Yeah. You, Chris, you also have a, um, a program called Grunt Work. Do you want to talk do. a little bit about how that started? Yeah. So I think like in, in all the ebbs and flows, and this is probably to my downfall. Um, you know, like I'm one of those guys, like I'm idea guy. It's like, Oh my gosh, I've got this cool idea and I think it'd be really cool. Um, and I started out with this thought of like, Hey, I, I've done this kind of training within my CrossFit training and we, we would just call it grunt work. And it was just the stuff where it was super, low barrier to entry, you know, you're carrying sandbags. There's all sorts of different varieties of sled pushes and pulls and there's not much complexity to it at all. There's really not. Um, but it's kind of fun. And I think there's a lot of value there for people to build good raw strength and also just not smash their skull into the ground with super high intensity stuff all the time. So we plug that into our programming already, but I thought how cool would it be to offer that as just a standalone program. So I started off with that and just launching that as a separate program that people could just do either in substitution of some work that they're already doing, or maybe if they were um, kind of new to some of the, I guess you could call it, I mean, everybody calls it functional fitness, but um, CrossFit type workouts, um, or if they wanted to add it in as some supplemental work. So we launched that and that was, gosh, 2018. I think. And, um, you know, it's just been a fun little accessory piece to program for. We've seen everybody from like hunters really take on to it and outdoorsmen, uh, to people that just, especially in these, these times are looking for something they can do with just stuff around home. Uh, they don't have the financial ability to deck out a home gym. Uh, we have like a whole setup in there where people can basically get everything they need at a home Depot or a Lowe's. And we try to just make it really simple and really fun. Um, and it's definitely lower intensity and grunt work is, uh, is the perfect term for it. That's for sure. Yeah, it's kind of a, like a hybrid strongman, odd object, slightly military inspired stuff. And it's at a great price point. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a neat thing for accessory work. Thank you. So, um, for a long time, you were part of, uh, the CrossFit staff, uh, mm -hmm. you were seminar staff. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah. Now, did, well, did you started. start, did you start that as one of those sort of pirates that just sort of showed up one day at your level one and got tagged <laughs> on the shoulder and said, Hey, come, come do seminar <laughs> staff with us. Cause there I hear those a, stories. 
Yeah, I was like right on the edge of that. There was a little bit of that. I remember I was at my level one. There were other people. I was like, who are you? And they're like, oh, I'm doing my level two. And I'm like, what the what? So when I did my level one, I saw that there. And the first time I actually did my level two, it, it was that. I think I went and just did another course. Gosh, I think it, I think it was. And I just like sat in on another one. But shortly after that, I think I did that in the fall. And then they launched, this is, oh gosh, 2008, 2007, maybe. And they launched the level two, which was like devastating for people. It was the practical exam. And I remember going into this thing and it was a two day exam. And uh, you would go on day one and all of it was practical. There's, I think there's a very little written at the end where it was kind of based off some zone stuff at the time. But I went in and I had Pat Sherwood, Nicole Carroll, Dave Castro, and Andy Stump. So talk about like wow. your four most intimidating people to be over right. your shoulder. Uh, and um, so day one was kind of the, you went through this practical and they kind of helped you and help prepare you for day two, which is the test. And that's when they would basically just look at you and they would say, you know, like, hey, Amy, I need you to teach the squat. You have 10 minutes, ready, go. And you had to teach it to the nine other people in the group, or it was, hey, Kat, you have to teach the press, ready, go. And you had to teach one movement in each series and they would grade you, you get a one through a four in each category. And people, <laughs> I think, I want to say like, even when I was coaching the level twos, there was like a 30 or 40% pass rate. Um, wow. So I took my level two and I remember telling them like, Hey, they, they had asked like, what do you guys want to do? And I was like, I'd, I'd love to be on seminar staff someday. And it was cool as I took it at the, the original CrossFit Santa Cruz. And, um, I remember going upstairs to the top. You guys look at the old videos. It was really tiny. And they had like this little bay, this little loft area up to, upstairs. I walked up there and Dave was there and a couple other people. And they kind of walked me through the grade. And it was cool. Dave, right after words, said, hey, if you're interested, we'd like to have you on staff. And I, I, from there, I went and started teaching. And that just, I mean, snowballed into eight years, better part of a decade and helping write courses i helped write the coaches prep course which is now the level two <laughs> um i wrote the competitors course with matt chan and eric o'connor which is now the advanced coaching concepts um i helped video stuff for the level three it, it was really a really cool time it was a very busy time in my life but i i learned a tremendous amount got to work with some really great people got to meet some some people have life long friendships with and uh it really shaped me as a coach a hundred percent i mean it, it was a tremendous opportunity well i know you certainly made an impression um our affiliate owner you were his level one um yeah. but oh gosh scott when was that do you think it would, it would have been 10 2010 years ago. Yeah. yeah wow yeah but yeah so anyways he was super stoked to hear we were talking with you today so you certainly made an impression on, on people that's cool. Yeah, it was a good, a good run. Busy time, but a really, really good one. So when did you open up CrossFit Park, Park City? Uh, we, let's see, opened in May of 2007 in the corner of a rec center. <laughs> no space. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so you weren't on seminar staff at that point? It was another year before you were on? Yep. That, yeah. So I went and got my level one in 2006. 
2007, I think it was, yeah, I want to say it was like March of 2007 in Colorado. Uh, and then May opened up the affiliate and then I was on staff in 2008. Yeah. The, the spring of 2008 is when I was on staff. And so how, how has that developed, uh, own, being an affiliate owner and learning all this stuff straight from headquarters as you're going through seminar staff and then your, your affiliate grows and your knowledge grows. How did that translate into you being an affiliate owner? Oh, it, you know, it was actually really hard because during that time I was also focused on competing. So I had these like three big plates or balls I was juggling and it. You know, one was HQ and largely that's how I provided for my family. The, then I had the affiliate and I was competing and that also meant that I had some, some great relationships with sponsors. And so there were these like really trying to balance that. And if I'm honest, the affiliate probably took the back seat from all of those things. And what HQ did for me during that time, I think was really grounded me into an understanding of what classic CrossFit is, what the true goal behind it is. And although I was competing, we never had that at the gym. We never had uh, like that influence or that pressure or that culture in the gym. And I think a lot of it was probably because I, I was able to see every weekend at the time we would, the seminars were packed. You would work with 50 or 60 different participants every weekend. So you see the, these masses of people. I mean, every month you're teaching, what, another 240 people. And you realize like, hey, these people, although they might enjoy doing CrossFit, they're not trying to go to CrossFit games. Like they don't need the training that I'm doing. So it was great because it kept me grounded. Um, it also got me around other coaches that were better than me. So I was able to learn how to coach or communicate things better. The programming stayed very true to the roots and the core of what it is. And I got a lot of ideas from other people that we tried to implement at the gym or made adjustments or maybe we tried and we threw out, but it was a really good kind of stew pot to, to learn from people and grow as a coach and apply that at home in the affiliate. But um, it, it was definitely hard and I don't think the affiliate really started to thrive until I got done competing and I was able to focus on it more as well as HQ. And so, you know, cause I was gone every weekend. So being around makes a big difference when you're running a business. Well, I know Kat is on the verge of opening up her own affiliate. Yeah. Words of wisdom. Um, culture. So I think uh, when people get into it, you obviously like most people get into it because we're passionate about, it. we obviously have to have a business plan and we obviously have to have it set up to where it's going to be profitable so we can support our family. Um, but I think most people don't ask themselves the question of what kind of culture do they want to have? And instead they run, they crunch all the numbers and they forget about the culture. So you got to have both because we have people at our gym that have been with us for 13 years. Um, and it's because of the culture. It's not, it's not necessarily because of the programming, right? Programming matters, but that's dictated by the culture that you want to create and people will continue to show up if you establish a culture that's supportive. Um, I don't think it should be competitive. 
depending on where you are, I guess. Um, and uh, that really will help guide a lot of decisions that people make on how many people should be in classes. Do I cap the class sizes? How many trainers do I want to have at my facility? Do we want to have an emphasis on one-on-ones? What's the, you know, roles and responsibilities, the expectations of coaches? A lot of those things can be guided by the culture you have in the gym. Yeah, that's great advice. And, and obviously with life sort of stalled right now, <laughs> nothing, nothing real big is happening. But I noticed, I think that you guys are breaking ground on a new location. Is that still happening or? Oh my gosh, yeah. Building in Park City apparently is like nearly impossible when the economy is good. And when it's bad, it's even harder. <laughs> but uh, we, it's been over a year and we are still working on our permits, which is just mm-hmm. mind boggling. But uh, we are continuing to move forward. We are continuing to try to really push it and make that something that is uh, a priority for us because I think for long term, that's the best thing for our community. And uh, otherwise, I just own an expensive piece of dirt. And <laughs> we're going to <laughs> try to put a, a facility on that. So we have, uh, you know, a bit of a... I guess, long-term investment instead of just uh, a membership pool. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your plans for that in terms of, you know, how many members do you have, how big it's going to be, what you're, what you're looking to do? So it's interesting. Like on the CrossFit side, we live in a really small town. Uh, so Park City, the full-time residence in Park City is about 16,000 people. So we don't live in a big town. And everything under the sun is here. And by that, I mean, we have two rec centers. We have... Orange Theory, F45, we have boom classes, we have people that like are professional coaches that used to teach, coach people in the Tour de France. I mean, you name it, it is here. Um, so we've had as many as four CrossFit gyms in our town at one time, and now there are two. Uh, so we have right now... As far as like the CrossFit side of things, we have roughly 200, 220 members, but we also have additional programs in the gym. So Doug runs, he works with me with uh, Spiel Programming. He runs a program called Move, which is a high school athletic strength and conditioning program. And he also runs that as an online extension called Sturker Sports Online, which is cool. Um, And he has probably, I would say between 60 and 80 kids come through the door in a week. And then we also have a program called Spark, which is kind of like a, a light, a CrossFit light program. And there's probably another 40 people that come through the door there. So our membership kind of has this different ebb and flow to it. And the goal for me really has been to build a facility where these things can continue to grow. Because I think for us to have health and longevity in the fitness market, we need to make sure that we know who we are and we're rooted in who we are. But my, my goal has always been able to have a really small training team that are professionals, like true professionals. I don't want to have an affiliate where we have 15 coaches and all of them coach two classes a week because they're not professionals. And I say that in the kindest way. That's okay because people can still coach and they can still love it, but it just doesn't mean you're a professional. You know, like I can do things on my computer, but I'm not professional at it. So it's because I spend limited time. So we try to have a really small crew and to do that, to facilitate that, they're never going to make a substantial living off just coaching classes. They can't. 
So what I've decided to do is try to give them opportunity to have ownership of the business or ownership of a business where they run it inside, which is like what Doug does with Move and Kenzie with Spark. Um, and the online programming, you have Chelsea and Kaylee helping out with that, uh, especially on the affiliate side. So the space, we're going to try to build a 10,000 square foot building. That's the plan. Right now we're in about 6,400 square feet. And the goal isn't necessarily to have our CrossFit classes explode and be, you know, 30 person classes. It's that we can have those trainers have more opportunity to have that professional vibe. And so now I might be able to be running a full CrossFit class while Doug is running a full high school strength and conditioning class mm -hmm. and Kenzie's running this. And so the goal with that side space is really to create opportunity for our trainers to thrive and then in turn, that helps the business because obviously that's based off of either a percentage or a rent or something like that. So that's really helpful for us to offset costs. And then what it does is it gives us great retention with our coaches too. We have coaches that have been with us for 12 years and, and most of them, I think the newest coaches we have have been with us for two and a half years. And on average, we're looking at coaches that have been with us for eight years, but that's why is because they, they have that potential. So that's kind of the goal. And then what that does for Sarah and I is it gives us a lot of leverage in the future, right? Because if we, um, you know, assuming things go back to normal, which they will at some point, um, we, it gives us options down the road. In 15 years, I'll be, gosh, 56. Good golly. Um, <laughs> but in 15 years... What that would let us do is hopefully we can have the building paid off and then we can, let's say the gym's great. We can just continue to run it and we have that we're paying ourselves rent. Or if we needed to sell the gym to one of our trainers, we could and then charge them rent and be a landlord or who knows what the landscape of the, of the market's going to be. And if we needed to, we could just lease the building out. So we're trying to do is kind of like our, our retirement in a way. That's really cool. Uh, so I have, a, I have a weird question, uh, and I've always wondered this, is we have all these bars in our gym called Spiel Bars. Yes. Where, where, did, that, where did that derive from? That's a great question. Uh, so when I started, when I opened the affiliate, Rogue was like really small. And uh, I don't even think they made pull-up rigs at that point in time. And no, no one, in fact, that I know of was really making them. So I asked a buddy of mine, he is an engineer. I was like, hey, I need a pull-up bar that I can mount to the wall. This is just my idea. I was like, I want it to mount to the wall because we're in a really tiny space. I don't want any posts going into the floor. So he came up with this system. And we still have a chunk of it in our gym now. It's really cool. I use what's called... Super strut or unistrut, which is, I think it's, uh, it's like a lot of electrical type stuff. And you would mount that to the, the studs in the wall. And then we used galvanized plumbing pipe, basically, because we could just twist it together. And he had this system where he twisted it together. And we could have this big pull-up rig where we had 12 people and there were no posts going into the ground. It was just a triangle on the wall. And that's all I knew. And the galvanized plumbing pipe, it was just raw steel. That's all it was. It's from Home Depot and it was raw steel. And then when I would go to gyms, 
and they had these like fancy oxidized bars. I was like, I hate these. These things stink. They're slippery and I can't keep my hands on them. I don't like how they feel. And Bill and Katie at Rogue have always been incredibly supportive. And they're like, hey, if you ever have any ideas about like developing equipment, we'd be happy to help. And I was like, I think we should do a pull-up bar. And at the time they had those double ones, you know, where it was like, mm-hmm. that's how they reinforced it. And I said, well, with those, like you can't really do a bar muscle up. So what if we just went like a bare steel bar and put like gussets on the side? I, that was it. And then, then a month later it came out and um, it's been that way since. And it's still obviously my, my favorite part. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> we love our steel bars. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, we just moved to a new facility and uh, I think we bought four new ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to add to the ones. And, we, and it's still not enough. People are still asking for more. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're great. Like, and they, they hold chalk better. Yeah, they do. Like, and I feel like I don't need as much chalk. I, it's just a preference. For some, they probably think I'm nuts, but, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a winner in our gym. Good. So, now that we've gone through all that, let's touch on your games experience just a little bit before we let you go. Um, and I so, mean, you are an OG in the sport and you helped grow the sport. So yeah, <laughs> we have to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you were at the very first CrossFit Games in 2007. And, um, you know, you hear about it. It's kind of legendary as this like awesome barbecue that people yeah. just kind of worked out at. Uh, yeah. what, what was your impressions of that? Pretty accurate. An awesome barbecue where we worked out. Uh, it was looking back it it's like surreal to think of what it was and what it's turned into um literally the middle of nowhere like no one would know where it is unless they knew the actual address and how to find it um and uh it was i think probably the most unique thing i was at the time everybody was on on crossfit.com and very few gyms even existed. So everyone was on .com and, and we were all posting scores and you know, it was the OPTs and the AFTs and the Kelly Moores and the, and the Brandons and the uh, NYC, Allison and NYC and like all, you know, like all these like old names. And what was so cool is we would go and be like, oh, you're OPT, oh, you're, you're, you're. And so it was really neat to put a face to the name. And uh, it, it was CrossFit in the truest form, you know, like no fancy gear, no fancy equipment. It's what people are doing today. Grab your dumbbells in your garage, throw down, go out in the dirt, make it happen. You can get fit with very little. Yeah. It was really, really neat, really special year. Um, and so it was so much fun. You came back six more times, um, but, but it, of course it evolved over those years. Yeah. So what was that evolution like? Crazy. I mean, 2007, 2008, you just had to show up and put your name on a paper. You were in the CrossFit Games. Um, 2009, you had to qualify. And it felt like they tried to kill us with the workouts. Uh, 2010, it's made this massive leap to now being in the Home Depot Center And although there's no one really there, like, let's be honest, the crowds, the stands, like quite empty. There was like, there was a real 
sense, I think of like, whoa, this is like on the, the cusp of something big happening here. Um, and things got more serious, like more complexity, more strength. 2011 and 12, I kind of look at it in these two-year blocks. It, it was, you know, it was now a full-time gig. You, if you want to go to the CrossFit Games, you need to be living a specific lifestyle in order to make that happen. No longer can you just be like a fit guy in your community and show up. You have to have a specific training program. You've got to make some serious sacrifices. And then 2013 and on, it's just amplified. You know, it's just absurd what the athletes are doing, the demands that they have to be put through, um, the level of competition. It's just, and obviously we saw changes with sanctionals and regionals going away. I still really miss the regionals days. Um, but uh, it, it was super intense. I mean, by the time we were 2013, 14, there's a lot on the line. A lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of sacrifice on the line compared to 2007. That's really cool. So one thing I wanted to touch on is in 2010, um, you know, it's kind of known as the games where Rich fell off the rope. <laughs> it's true. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was an iconic uh, podium. Yeah. It was Graham yeah. Holmberg, Rich Froning, and you. Yeah. Um, all OGs of the sport, all still kind of hanging around. Uh, still supporting the sport. Um, what was that feel? What did that feel like to to make the podium at the games? Um, it's actually funny. I wrote this in my book. I, I knew that I knew the moment that I did not win that year. I knew that I would never win the CrossFit Games again. I knew that was my chance. Like the way that that programming stacked up, and the way that things, the order that it fell in. I knew that I would probably never stand on that podium again. Um, so it, it was so satisfying to see the hard work. And, and I think the mentality that I had going in that year, I had like a really good headspace that year. So it was really rewarding to be there. But at the same time, we didn't know what was to come. You know, so it's like, it was just, uh, it was really special. And it was really great, but um, no one knew what it was going to turn into. So it was hard looking back. It makes it more special looking back. But at the time, it was just, uh, yeah, all that hard work had been put to use and, and I guess rewarded in some way. So then in 14, you make the games one last time as an individual. Yeah. And the outpouring of love from the CrossFit community at that event for you was that similar to podium finishing or was it, was it something different? Way better. I mean, I could not have asked for a better way to say goodbye. It like still to this day, it gives me chills. Um, you know, I had goals going into 2014. I had goals when I went to the CrossFit games, I knew I wasn't going to win. I wasn't fit enough. I wasn't big enough, whatever. Um, but I, I still had goals. I think often my goal when I would go to the CrossFit games was to be in the top 10. And even that year, I knew I was like, okay, let's make top 15 the goal. And as the weekend went on, I just had to adjust that. I was like, I want to be on the floor for the last, I don't want to get cut. I don't want to get cut. And um, I also made it a priority that year. Instead of just being so focused on competition, I was like, you know what? I know this is my last year. I've made that commitment. So I'm going to try to enjoy it. I'm going to try to 
embrace a little bit of like look up at the crowd and engage with that and and don't be so like laser focused um and that combination of that as well as just like you said the outpouring of love and support from the community like i although i maybe never met my goal of winning the crossfit games or getting top 10 that year i have zero regrets and zero what if shoulda coulda woulda when i look back at how i was able to say goodbye to that floor i mean it was so special thanks to the community um that i've been able to even though hard at times close that chapter without any regrets and then in 17 you actually <laughs> make it back as a masters and i remember <laughs> at the time you were and we're all masters athletes you know that's kind of what we're we're about you make it back and and at the time you were saying i'm not going to change my training i'm still going to do my hour of a day and did did you do that all the way up to the games just about i got a little psycho for about 4 weeks there i was like i got to do more and then my because i'm old and broken my back was messed up i was like i i can't do more <laughs> i need to go back to the hour a day one workout a day thing um which i did and, and here's the deal is like i'd still been training hard you know and i still had a, a quite a decent amount of capacity from 2014 15 so it only been two years and um i i wasn't training like i used to for sure during that two-year window but i also hadn't lost a ton i'm not even I, I can't do things that i did in 2017 now you know like i really can't snatch heavy anymore because of some shoulder issues and i got to be smart like a lot of the heavier loading i just it's not something my body can handle anymore nor is it's something I need to do to be able to ride my dirt bike and downhill mountain bike. So why would I smash my face on the ground doing it? Um, but I, I still had a fair amount of capacity left and was able to just, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much go in there with uh, about an hour a day and got lucky. That was a, that was a special year for me because I actually worked the games as a volunteer yeah. at, the, at the North Park and got to see you up close and personal for the first time. Cool. Uh, and me following the sport. So that was pretty cool. And that was a pretty epic uh, podium there as well with Kyle Kasperbauer, Neil Maddox, and yourself uh, yeah. finishing in the top three at that, at that year. That was cool. It was really cool to uh, really go in there with no stress. There was lots of mixed emotions that year because I saw so many guys that I knew in passing that were there as individuals. And, so, and I say this in the kindest way because of my previous experience, it was very unsatisfying. And I say that in the kindest way because of the, the experience that I had before. What made it so great was the guys that I was with, like Kyle and Neil and stuff like that. And, and that's what made it so great was just this low key, have fun, um, just go out and throw down kind of event where I didn't even look at the leaderboard until I finished. I, I didn't know. Um, and that was very, very different approach than in the past. And then last year, you got to come back and do the oh. Rogue Legends. <laughs> yeah. Which I have to say, Scott and I were totally stoked on that because being here in Columbus, I mean, it feels pretty amazing that we can just jaunt on over there to Rogue. And yeah. so what was that experience like getting to compete with the Legends and the OGs again? Man, definitely one of the coolest events I've ever done. Um, 
that probably that and the Tahoe throwdown, maybe two of the, like the most memorable things I've done outside the scope of, you know, your regular CrossFit game stuff. Um, and the same thing, but it's so funny. Everybody's still the same, you know, like Chan is still a bit of a joker and Kalipa's still taking things more serious than he should. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like all of us are still the same. So we still have these, um, you know, we still have this, <laughs> this personality, but we were all there just really kind of enjoying one another. And uh, I mean, to be able to do Amanda with everybody and have it be like this reunion. It, oh gosh. Epic to watch. So, it was epic to watch. So cool. So cool. Yeah. Really another special, special moment for us. Yeah. That's well, really cool. I did want to ask you one thing. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, that you are a smaller athlete um, and being an OG in the sport and being so successful in the sport what would be one tip that you think led to your success that you could offer to other smaller athletes who are competing in this field? Um, one, I was really lucky to have started wrestling when I was six. <laughs> People sometimes would ask me like, Hey, how'd you get so strong for your size? And I kind of didn't have an answer for him. I was like, Hey, start wrestling when you're six and start lifting with your 12 when you're 12. And like, you'll, yeah, that's like the recipe. Um, because strength takes a lifetime to build. It does for all of us, you know? And then I also, the wrestler mentality that I learned served better than anything else that could have. Like the wrestler mentality I learned, and this is kind of still how I am with work and things like that is it didn't matter in wrestling. It didn't matter what I had. It didn't matter. Coaching obviously made a huge difference, but like, when the odds are stacked against you, or even if I didn't know what exactly to do, it didn't matter. Cause I, when I was in, when I was wrestling, I was just going to work harder than you. So I don't care if you have the special training program, I'm just going to work harder than you with my regular training program. I'll just go outside and run and smash myself into the ground running. I don't care if you have a specific program. I don't care if you're favored to win. I don't care what, it doesn't matter. Like I'm just going to go out there and beat you. And if I don't, I'm going to make you wish you never walked out there with me again. And so I kind of carried that into CrossFit where I was like, I, I don't know. I think I had a bit of like a, a misfiring in my brain, but I would be frustrated when I couldn't lift as much as Jason or Neil, even though I, I, in the back of my head, I knew that like I shouldn't be able to. There was this piece of me that was annoyed that I couldn't. And I was like, I, yeah, I just... I didn't want to just be like a good small athlete. Like I wanted to beat the big guy because I wasn't supposed to. And I also didn't look at myself as that small. When I saw pictures of myself next to people, I was like, wow, I'm small. But when I was there, I didn't feel that way. And I don't know why. Um, but I think it, I really embraced and really loved the underdog mentality. I loved it. And when people doubted me, all the more fuel for me. So that was probably to my advantage in some ways. Yeah. I don't know if that's helpful for small athletes <laughs> <laughs> where I was. Yeah. Well, I, I have more questions for you, but we've taken up a ton of your time and I don't want to, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I had a whole bunch of questions about your faith, um, huh. but we just, we never got to that. So maybe we'll have to do a part two later down the road uh, and talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, for sure. Especially in these times, it's, uh, you know, I told a couple of my friends and, and people like, Hey, I pass no judgment on where people are in that journey and that, that walk and wherever they are along that scope of whatever they believe in where they are. But, um, what's funny, I was kind of thinking today just about talking to people like at the gym and seeing people like it's a heavy on my heart. I think people are like hurting, you know, especially now it seems like at this kind of month mark, it's sinking in and, uh, just the encouragement to people like, um, I don't know, like I, like, uh, again, no judgment. Right. And I, I love you guys the same, no matter where people are, but like, there is a God that loves you and he's there to engage with you. And I think he allows things like this that are beyond our comprehension. And I think it's so that we can engage with him and because he's there to help and to reach out. And if we reach out, he will engage. And uh, I think a lot of people are looking for something like that. And there's a lot of hope to be found there and a lot of peace to be found there. And uh, yeah, I think in the simplest way, a lot of people think they have to have all their crap figured out before they start to pursue some kind of understanding of their relationship with Jesus. And it's completely opposite. You can be the biggest screw up, the biggest punk, the biggest whatever. And those are the people Jesus hung out with. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Um, and again, I, I had more questions, but again, we'll, maybe we'll just do a part two on Perfect. down the road sometime. Sounds good. Thank you for taking the time out, Chris. We really appreciate it a lot. Uh, yeah. I hope you have a great day and, and a great weekend uh, and enjoy the, the, your family. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for making the time and hang in there. All right. You got it. All right. Stay well. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks guys. Take care. So that was a great interview. I'm so glad we got to have Chris on. Um, I think I talked on the last episode that I actually was talking and talked with him to come on the podcast while he was going through COVID um, and he kept having the delay and I didn't know why because uh, he kind of kept that to himself at the time. But um, so glad that uh, he was willing to come on because I'm sure he has a lot of requests going right now because of what he's been through. So shout out to Chris. Thank you very much. Um, so we have a lot of news to talk about today, a lot. Yeah. And the biggest of them all was the Instagram post made by the CrossFit Games earlier this week, I think two days ago, mm -hmm. uh, that said that they are fully committed to having a live in-person competition for the CrossFit Games. And that they no are fully, spectators. No spectators. And they are fully focusing on holding the games uh, at the ranch. There and they're no also focused on looking at online options. So that seems very counter to fully focused on in-person at the ranch and yet focusing on an in online version. Yeah, so here, here's my take on that. There's no way that... 300 plus athletes can show up at the ranch and do the CrossFit games, right? So last year when all those um, national champions came, my guess is, and this is just my guess, national champions 
are going to get weeded out by some online competition um, qualifying type thing. I also think, unfortunately, masters and teens are probably going to get the shaft yep. um, on some kind of online competition because I just, again, logistically, I think it's too much. Um, you figure teenagers have to come with parents, you know, and that's more people than they can accommodate. So um, I think age group's probably going to go away and you're probably going to end up with like 20 or 30 guys and 20 or 30 girls at the ranch doing something and it probably won't be the last week in july first week in august at the ranch so when do you think they'll they'll make it i mean i think it depends on if we have if we open up to some more sanctioned events prior to um you know those will have to happen and if they can't all happen the same weekend if it's you know if we open up in the middle of july or something like that um, but I would imagine that maybe they start that online stuff in at the same time they were supposed to have the games. Maybe that last week in July, early August is when they do online because the people that do the online comps are going to have to be in a space, right? They're mm -hmm. going to have to have access to a gym or, or something. And then maybe, you know, maybe that the, you know, the idea of those athletes in person at the ranch happens like early September. I don't know. So I can see that, but then my only worry would be, or thought would be, then what are they going to do about the open? Because there's yeah. going to be this much time for recovery before hopping right back into the open if they want to get back on track with their regular scheduling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd rather them, you know, this season's messed up anyway. Yeah. I, I don't want them to do anything that's going to mess up next season too, but I still want games, you know? I still want yeah. to see something. Uh, Kat, did you happen to see uh, or hear the Talking Elite Fitness talking yes. about what their ideas were? A lot of what you said kind of matches what Tommy and Sean kind of talked about. The one thing I love that they said is to, to limit the number of people at the ranch at a time doing the teams on one weekend mm -hmm. and the individuals on, a, on the next weekend or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really cool idea. Then you get kind of two weekends of the games. It's great for the spectator uh, just watching online. And the other idea I think they that was really awesome was they said, you're going to have to stream the event because there's no spectators. So charge like $5 for the stream and use it as a fundraiser to help get, uh, you know, boxes and everything kind of back on their feet. Uh, yeah. And I would so absolutely, I'd pay money to see it for sure. Ab absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how realistic it would be for them to open up the ranch weekend after weekend for that kind of stuff. I mean, to accommodate teams and individuals and, and everybody else, but um, you know, they've, they've taken efforts to, to pull things off <laughs> quicker and harder before. So I'm sure they'll figure something out, but I definitely think the online component's going to be for those national champions. Yeah. I'm super excited though, that it's going to be back at the ranch. I think it's a kind of a cool, you know, a feel for it. I know that we, we did that, you know, for the 10 year, but it's just kind of, because this year has just kind of been so weird. It's kind of nice to, I, I want to say like, go back home and feel kind of some of that original stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I just hope everyone can make it there. The ones that yeah. do qualify, like, can they get there? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Europe's starting to open up a little bit, you know, that I know here in Ohio, we're talking about opening up in May. Uh, to some things slowly, not, you know, gates wide open in May. Right. So that's, we still have a few months, you know, maybe we can get some stuff going to where people can get there. 
Um, yeah, I'm just excited that they're, they're not giving up on holding it and trying to come up with a solution that works for everyone. Yeah, I'm just, the communication's great. You know, we're not, we're not used to the greatest communication coming out of HQ. So the fact that they're talking about it at all is, is kind of nice. And I think the rogue online competition is going to be, is going to sort of set the bar and sort of be a barometer for how, how does this going to work and can we coordinate something that's, you know, official um, in that manner. So. Yeah, I think that um, I, I don't want to crown the fittest on earth by using an online competition. Yeah, no. Like if that if it comes to that, then we need to call it something else, and and they can win prize money and do whatever. But it it shouldn't tarnish the legacy of what the fittest on earth is. And like if Matt Fraser does an online competition, doesn't win, it shouldn't take away from that legacy of four in a row, or going for that fifth. I so I just I want to be careful there. But I think if you hold it in person at the ranch and he and he loses, then that then the streak's over. But online, you know, it just can't it can't be the fittest on earth at that point. No, I agree. You got any thoughts, Charlie? Nope. No. <laughs> no. I think you guys pretty much hit all the all the the points that I had in, in terms of um, how this thing should look. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, talking about kind of reopening um, in the morning chalk up this morning, because we're recording on Saturday, April 18th. Yeah. And um, there was an article this morning that talked about a group of people kind of getting together and trying to prove that gyms are essential and being able to open up in like phase one of the president's mandate of uh, reopening kind of things. And so I don't want to talk about the specifics of that. If you want to read that article, it's out there on the morning chalk up. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, just kind of the general feeling of our gyms essential. And I think they are. I mean, we, the more fit we can make America, the better off we are in fighting disease of all kinds, not just pandemic disease, but of all kind. So I'm just going to throw that out to you guys for your thoughts. Yeah, I think I think it's an essential business. I think though that when when the government is thinking about you know allowing fitness centers to go back, I think in their their mind they're picturing you know Planet Fitnesses or those types of gym and not necessarily the CrossFit business model. So I think that there's that aspect. Um, I do think it's important to note though that the morning what they're talking about in the morning chalk up is originating though right now out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, which is where the three three of us friends are coming from. Um, so I know there's just some groups that are kind of working together and what they are trying to do is release a document to um, the government that shows we we think that we're an essential business. Here's the steps that we think, um, you know, kind of set the stage for, for getting our type of business model back in um, again. So, but I think that that is adding some essential thing because we talk about, you know, Doing CrossFit um, and being healthy is an important component to fighting chronic diseases um, and to, to uh, you know, keep at bay all these other um, illnesses that could be approaching us and making us not healthy. I think our class uh, was a great example of that in terms of, you know, that, that Chris actually had it and he's, you know, obviously one of the most fit masters or, or people in general. 
um, in the world, I'd say. And yeah, yes, it had him down a little bit, but now you can you can see he's on the on the way up. And I think that that his fitness actually helped him kind of where he's at now. So certainly. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really hoping that, you know, when and if we go back to some semblance of normalcy, especially in gyms and health centers, is that people that hadn't considered working out before start making it a priority just if it's only because of COVID-19 than anything else to just realize that they need a leg up on this and, you know, to be a little more resilient to stuff that's out there. So, And I'm going to need Planet Fitness to continue their Pizza Fridays because that is really the key to, to, to fitness. <laughs> okay, well, was not expecting that answer. So thank you for that, Charlie. All right, so uh, support your box. Uh, we are, we're, they just announced the third and final workout uh, this week. And with that, Nicole Carroll did a video kind of going through the workout and in that, she announced that as of this time, they have raised two and a half million dollars through that initiative, which Amazing. is really awesome. Yeah, I mean, especially in a time right now where people are, um, I mean, people might be out of work, that the fact that they're able to raise two million dollars with that now, I think that's fantastic. And just so you know, you can still sign up uh, all the way through this week. You can still do all three workouts. Uh, and you can still uh, donate to the box of your choice uh, through through the app. Uh, so I encourage you, if you haven't done so already, uh, the first two workouts weren't too bad. Uh, the last one is a chipper. Uh, not necessarily the Clydesdale's favorite. <laughs> Amy. I, Amy I like is uh, cheering mm -hmm. in her little box over there. But um, yeah, so the last one's a, a chipper, and uh, you can still sign up and do all three. They're all doable within one week, so if you want to do that, uh, it's definitely something you can still do, and we highly encourage that. So, is anybody is there a leaderboard for that? Is, has anyone is. been checking out the leaderboard on that? Or do we believe it? Or <laughs> how uh, legit I, is that? I've never been on the leaderboard, so it never really motivated <laughs> me to go look. Got it. <laughs> I'll have to check it out in my spare time. See what's happening. I just started my indoor ball, so we'll see where I, I end up. <laughs> test for that. Oh, Charlie. <laughs> oh, Charlie. He, he just needs he just needs the steroids to handle his children. It has nothing to do with working out. Just to get by. <laughs> just to stay in charge of this. To be so, able to jump high enough to scrape the poop off the ceiling. Right. <laughs> and the fan. Yeah. And for our new listeners on YouTube, uh, go back and listen to Charlie's poop incident and you'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Charlie's children's poop incident. <laughs> yeah, tomato, tomato. Somehow it became my incident. <laughs> and actually, that's a great segue. We are going to release Charlie's. We went back, we did Amy's um, bio with Kat interviewing her and Kat interviewing me. We, we released that, what, a week and a half ago? Yeah. And uh, Charlie's is being released Wednesday. Awesome. Uh, so he'll get a midweek release uh, so the masses can get out and hear him. That's right. Talk about Smash the poop like incident. Button. Yeah, we right talk about right the poop off the incident. Top. Yep, right, right off, off the, the top. top. Get it out of the way. And we have a good discussion about the games, too. My little conspiracy theory about canceling the games and Matt Fraser and all that. So good stuff. Ooh. So look for that Wednesday, uh, and you'll enjoy that. 
And if you haven't heard Amy and I's and you want to know a little bit more about us, you can go check those out too on all podcast platforms. Uh, and eventually I'll be converting all of those to uh, YouTube with uh, some pictures in front. So check that out. And now for our favorite segment of the week. I know it's Amy's favorite, favorite segment. She yes. prepares all week for this. I got a good one. <laughs> what is the, your favorite thing you saw on the internet? Go ahead, Amy. Okay, okay. Um, it's on TikTok, but you can also see it on Instagram and other places. But have you seen the Dadasaur? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, let me tell you about that. <laughs> it's fantastic, is it not? Yes, so, it is. There's a new number of videos, but it's these two, I don't know, they're probably preteen girls and they will just get on TikTok and they'll start like filming their parents doing stuff and, you know, like cleaning the kitchen or doing something. And then they'll say, is that the dadasaur? And as soon as they do that, the dad turns into a dinosaur and starts wreaking havoc all over the house. And the mom is just like, stop it, stop it, getting mad. And then like on Easter, they're trying to do a family photo and the kids say dadasaur. So anytime they say dadasaur, he turns into this dinosaur and does weird stuff. So. And he goes full dinosaur. <laughs> well, I mean, no... took a birthday cake, smashed it, threw it all over. I mean, it's fantastic. You have to see it. Scott and I are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out right up... after I get off here. I know, I got to up my TikTok game, that's for sure. Yep. It's like a black right. hole. Charlie, I'm tagging you. Your best thing. Now, why would you do that? Because. So I'm going to take one um, similar to, I don't know. I don't think it's TikTok, but it was going around Facebook. It's a, it's a dad who's doing a song about his, about the quarantine and his family and everything. And it's, it's a nice little ditty. I'm going to send it to Scott so we can post it to the bottom of this uh, YouTube, but it's, um, I can't, I think his name is the Hebron family or something like that. Amy, I think you've seen it before, but. Um, I bet it's the Holderman family. That him, him too. Okay. Uh, I think theirs is good too, but. Um, okay. Again, it's, it's this quarantine life. You're just looking at weird, crazy things that just, you know, make you laugh. Yeah, and Amy, if you, if you can send me the link to the TikTok, I'll put it at the bottom too. Yeah. Um, Charlie, I'm curious, what's the most watched movie at your house right now? This week, this week. Well, uh, you could say this month because since 7 p.m. yesterday, we've watched <laughs> Trolls 2. Uh, I think we're on the sixth showing, as you may hear in the background. So it's just basically on repeat. Uh, wow. I wish, it was, I wish it was Fittest on Earth, but unfortunately, <laughs> um, Trolls 2, The World of Rock. Fantastic. Okay. All right, so I'm, so I'm going to go along the... Yes, for sure. I'm going to go along the same lines as you guys and talk uh, quarantine stuff. So there's a Facebook video going around where a young woman, I guess she must be a comedian, she interviews herself from the future mm. in the past, right? So she goes to herself in, I don't know, like early February. And she says, and, and she says, all right, now, ask me anything about the future, you know, and, and I'll answer your questions. And she's like, well, you know, what's it like? And I, did we get over the Australian wildfires? And she's like, um, oh yeah, that happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not really a big deal, <laughs> you know? And she's like, what do you mean? That's not a big deal. Like that was the defining moment of 2020. She's like, mm, not so much, <laughs> you know? And she tells her, she tells her past self to like buy zoom, uh, sell everything off the stock market, buy zoom, 
um, tell us, tells her to get fit, buy some wine, everything really, really funny. And it's the same person back and forth. Um, I'll find that for you and send it to you, Scott. Yeah, I've actually seen it. It is amazing. Really funny. Yeah. So is it my turn? Am I tagged in? Yes. I'm tagged in. So mine is not quarantine related. Uh, and this is just uh, uh, silly me stuff. But anyway. It's Armin not sentimental. Hammer, it is not sentimental. Mm. Armin Hammer, I think he's bored because there's not a lot of sanctional news to talk about. He does a a good an episode on why Rocky Four is the greatest training montage ever in a movie. I've watched it three times, Scott. Okay. It is amazing. It is, it is so good. Awesome. I yes. thought you were going to say the greatest Rocky movie because that's not true. No. <laughs> Greatest training montage because it's actually, and it's so, he breaks it down. It's actually two training montages put together into one epic training montage. And he actually, he's analyzing the movements of Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren through the thing. And there's a part where uh, Dolph Lundgren is is cleaning and then he strict presses. Mm -hmm. If the weights were real, would be 455 (laughs) <laughs> in front of a crowd of people standing two feet away from him and he breaks it down like that bit by bit through the whole thing and i am like rocky one is my favorite movie of all time and i've watched all the rockies so many times it's i can't even count uh so it was really cool to see him break it down from a a fitness perspective through the training montage of rocky four uh, and so I will, I will put that link at the bottom as well, because it is epic and, and really cool. He's released a second one now too, a different, different movie, different training mm-hmm. montage. And I've seen it and I can't remember what it was, but he's on a roll now. So he's taking, <laughs> he's taking recommendations for other uh, movies that you want him to review like that. It's classic. But he, do, he does say Rocky Four is the best. I was going to say Rocky Four is the best. Yeah. Training Agreed. montage. Training montage. Yeah. <laughs> Not movie, training montage. Not movie. Yeah. So, well, with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up uh, with, hey, we're on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like uh, so we can get more great content out there for, for you guys. And we have a really cool <laughs> guest next week that we have recorded already. Yes, uh, Amy. Yep. So, Look forward I, to that. Yeah, a really awesome guest next week for that. Uh, so make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the notifier so you know when it comes out because uh, that'll be awesome. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Clydesdale CrossFitter. And we'll see you next week on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and friends. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and friends. Remember, you can find us on YouTube now and all major podcast platforms. That's iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, We're available on all those. And please hit that subscribe button on whatever you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and friends.